How many of you are excited? Now, I, I, I realized before I asked this question, some of you are going to be like super excited. Others of you are going to be like, eh, not really excited. So it's okay, wherever you fall, no judgment zone. But how many of you are excited about the fact that, watch this, concerts and sporting events are beginning to happen again? All right now, come on. Hey, I'm excited. Can I tell you why I'm excited? Because I can't wait to go to the Superdome to watch the Saints play this fall. Come on. I'm excited about that. Now, I, I'm not uh, so much of the concert person as I am the sporting event person. I've been to a few concerts in my day. Specifically, when I was a youth pastor, we took uh, kids to a lot of different concerts. Any concert people in the room? Come on, if you're a concert person. Okay, so we got some. Now, uh, here's the thing. Smoothie King Center is about to open back up for concerts. If you didn't know, now you know. First one on the books, just a newsflash, Eric Clapton. That's a pretty good one. One of the greatest guitarists of all time. One person is excited, and very predictably, it was Jess. So, Eric Clapton is coming to the Smoothie King Center. Concerts are back, y'all. Sporting events are back, y'all. It's happening. Now, how many of you have ever been to a concert or a show and you saw something that looked a little like that? Come on, V-I-P. Now, some of you in the room, you may be like, yeah, I, I've been the VIP. I've had that status. I've had that lanyard, and it looked better than the one that you got on today. But for most of us in the room, we've only dreamed of having VIP status. Come on, if you're going to be honest in God's house today, and you've seen somebody with one of these, and you've thought about, maybe I could just get that off of them. Like, maybe I could slip it. All right, I'm just kidding. We would never steal anybody's VIP tag. I'm just playing, okay? But have you ever wondered, like, what comes with that? Like, what do you get with that VIP lanyard, aside from the cool lanyard in and of itself, right? Like, these are awesome, but what, like, what comes with that? Well, you know, there, there are different kinds of perks depending on the show that you have VIP access to. You might get, uh, you might get front row tickets. That's a typical like VIP access thing. You get good seats. Come on, somebody. We want good seats at the concert. And not only do you get good seats, you get good parking. You don't have to pay extra for your parking. You might get free parking with your VIP pass, right? Now, how many of you at the concert, at the sporting event, you hate fighting the lines at concessions and at the merchandise tables, all right? Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. You waste like a half hour at the merchandise table missing the concert in the meantime. Well, hey, VIP, some shows you get your VIP pass, you get your private little merch station, your private little uh, concession spot, right? That's pretty cool. Maybe your own bathrooms. Come on, some of y'all want to be a VIP in the room now, you know what I'm talking about. Now, other shows, they might have like uh, a pre-show party where you come and they feed you and like, it's awesome. Like you get to hang out with other VIPs before the show. And if you're really lucky, your VIP status might get you a meet and greet photo opportunity with the band. Come on, somebody. Come on, some of y'all are excited. I know you're thinking, man, how much would something like that cost? I'm glad you asked. I did a little bit of research this week. Well, uh, how many of you know uh, Elton John? Uh, any classic rock fans in the room? Okay, two of you. All right, well, I'm with you there. I'm a classic rock guy. Elton John going on his last tour ever. Goodbye Yellow Brick Road for real is, what, is what's happening. How much do you think VIP access with Elton John would cost? Let me tell you, 
But you get a private little meet and greet, right? Okay, here's another one. Eagles. Anyone remember the Eagles? Okay, five of us. Okay. Uh, Wow, I feel old. The Eagles, $5,000. $5,000. Come on. People got money to be able to get VIP passes like this. Okay, any 80s rock fans in the room? Mm, Come on. I'm like all these categories. I like all music. Motley Crue and Def Leppard, y'all remember them? They're touring together right now. VIP access is $5,000. Two for one, though. Hey, that's only $2,500 apiece. Uh, Kiss, you guys remember them? They had their faces painted. Remember? All right. Some of you are doing it. All right. Some of you remember Kiss? $4,000. They're at the end of the road. They're just trying to get what they can while they can. Hey, Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber. $4,000. He's a a Christian now, so he gave him a discount. $4,000. Okay, Backstreet Boys, yep, they're still around and they're still touring, $2,300. I don't know how they came up with that number, but that's what it is. Any Celine Dion fans? All right, come on, your heart must go on. Titanic, $1,000. Celine's just trying to get what she can while she can, okay? Last one, you can get VIP access at Disney. How much would that cost? $3,000 a person because you got to do seven hours of it. You get a private tour guide. You get to go to the front of the lines. They get you everywhere you need to go. $3,000 a person, family of five. That's crazy. VIP access. VIP access. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not really interested in spending that kind of money to have VIP access to any of those shows. But my question for us this morning is what if we could have VIP access to God. And what would something like that cost? What would it cost to have VIP access to God? As we're reading in the book of Hebrews this morning, as as we dive into chapter five, the author begins by introducing this idea of a high priest. He's talking about the high priest and, and some of the qualifications of the high priest. And If we're honest, for most of us in the room today, this is a concept that's probably foreign to us. We don't talk a lot about a high priest in church today. Now, maybe some of you might have come from more of a Catholic background, and you might be familiar with the concept of a priest, but a high priest? Like, what is that like the Pope? Or like, what what is a high priest exactly? Now, if you're from a traditional Christian background, we're more familiar with terms like pastor or minister or reverend, right? High priest, not really a title we throw around a lot in a traditional church. And you might be here today and you might be just kind of exploring faith and exploring what it means to walk with God. And you you might be asking the question, what in the world are you talking about a high priest? Like, what is that? We're going to look this morning in the book of Hebrews at what exactly the the writer was talking about. Now, you have to understand, remember, this was written to a Jewish audience. And to a Jewish audience, this term high priest was very common. It was very familiar. They would have had mental images right away about the role of the high priest, the importance of the high priest. And as you look at this, you might be just kind of wondering, like, what did the high priest do? What what was their responsibility? Well, they were 
actually the supreme religious leader among the Jews. They were the supreme religious leader and, and they had to come from a specific clan. They had to come from the Levites. The, the high priest was a Levite. Remember, you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Quick history lesson. Abraham, patriarch, patriarch of the faith. His son, Isaac, had a son, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons and Levi was one. And he, the, the clan of Levi was the clan that would be the priesthood. In other words, you couldn't just want to be a priest. You had to be born into the family of priests. Are you all with me today? Say, yeah. Not only that, you, you had to be a specific type of Levite. You had to be born in the line of Aaron. Yeah, that Aaron, Moses' brother, Aaron. You see, it was Aaron's descendants that became the high priest. And so one of like the most important duties of the high priest was to conduct the service on what is called the Day of Atonement. And that, that day is still celebrated amongst uh, Judeo, the Jew, Jews today. And we know it as Yom Kippur today, but it's the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement happened one time per year. And it was like the most important service of the year. It was more important than Christmas or Easter, just to contextualize it for us. It was the most important service of the year. And there was a lot going on on the Day of Atonement. The priest had to wear certain clothes. The, the priest had to burn certain incense. The, it involved two goats, a ram, and a bull. And it was a bloody ceremony with the purpose of, watch this, atoning for the sins of the people. In other words, making a way for the people to worship God. And the high priest would have to offer a bull for his own sins. And then they would get two goats. One goat would become the scapegoat. You ever heard the term scapegoat? They would lay hands on the scapegoat. They would confess the sins of the nation of Israel. They would send the scapegoat out into the wilderness. The scapegoat was actually lucky because the other goat got slaughtered for the sins of the people. Two goats and, and the high priest had to, he had to bathe a certain way before he put these garments on. And then he had to bathe a certain way before he took these garments off. It was very important. Here's why. He was making a way for the people of Israel to continue in their act of worship towards God one time per year, one time per year. And so some scholars have said, if we only had the Pentateuch for the Bible, watch this, the first five books, if we only had the first five books of the Bible and that was our Bible, if we only had that, the Messiah would be expected to come as a high priest. If we only knew the first five books of the Bible, the Messiah, Jesus, would have been expected to come as a high priest. Why? Because he would have had to make atonement for the people of God. You can read all about this in Leviticus 16. And, and so the author here of the book of Hebrews, as he begins chapter five, what he's doing is laying out the qualifications for the high priest. Now, namely, they had to come from the line of Aaron, from the clan of Levi. But then he outlines five other things. It's going to come up on the screen here for you today. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, it says, uh, again, every high priest is a man chosen to represent the people 
uh, represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. He's able to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward because he himself is subject to the same weakness. That's why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. And no one can become a high priest simply because they want to. They must be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. So let me simplify this. Five qualifications for the high priest. Are you ready? Anybody uh, interested in the high priest job description? You're thinking about applying for that job? Here's what it is. We're, we're going somewhere. They were chosen from among men to represent people before God. They represented people before God and God before people. Are you all with me? Say yeah. yeah. They offered gifts and sacrifices for sins. They were able to deal gently with men. That's good, right? If people were coming, offering sacrifice, you want a high priest that's not going to look at you like, you loser, why'd you sin like that again, right? They were able to deal gently with men. They had to offer a sacrifice for their own sin. And then finally, they were appointed by God. You couldn't just choose to one day say, I'm going to be the high priest. If you weren't from the line of Aaron and you didn't meet these qualifications, there was no way for you to become the high priest. So when we look at the Old Testament, oftentimes, anybody ever, come on, be honest in church today. Anybody ever get like confused when you read the Old Testament and you're like, man, Leviticus, like, I, I don't know if I could read Leviticus 16 because I can't even get through one, two, three, four. Come on now, be real in church today. When we look at the Old Testament, a lot of times we can look at, the practices and the sacrifices and the priesthood. And, and we can ask ourselves, like, what is this all about? Like, what is the point of all of this? Anybody real in God's house, you've said that. Like, what is going on in the Old Testament? Or we might even ask, like, who created this? Like, is this just something that man decided to do in order to worship God? Here, here let me help you this morning just a little bit on Old Testament practice and, and the priesthood and the sacrificial system. Watch this. You should write this down. The priesthood and the sacrificial system were initiated why, by who? By God so that people could learn who God is. That's like, let me simplify the Old Testament priesthood and sacrificial system. It was initiated by God so that the people could learn who God was and how to worship him right? And so here, here are four things that I just want you to keep in mind when you read the Old Testament, when you look at scripture in the Old Testament, and you, you ask yourself, like, why all these animal sacrifices? And why did they do this sacrifice? And then a different kind of sacrifice. And then there was this sacrifice. And what is this priesthood stuff all about? I want you to remember these four things. Reasons that the sacrificial system was important. Number one, to show that forgiveness is costly to show that forgiveness is costly. It costs something to, to have forgiveness. Now on the day of atonement, it, it costs a bull and a goat and a ram and all of these things, right? But it's pointing to the idea that forgiveness costs something. Number two, it's showing that the punishment due to sin is actually death. The wages of sin, the Bible says in the book of Romans, is actually death. Now, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, that was the death of a goat or a bull or a ram. Number three, to show that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And the last thing, 
to, and there are others, but these are four key ideas of the importance of the sacrificial system and the priesthood to show that man needs representation before God. That was the role of the high priest. Not just any average person could walk into the temple, walk into the holy place and offer a sacrifice. You had to be a priest. And so there, it's demonstrating this idea that we need representation before God. And so the author begins in verses one through four talking about these qualifications. And then he gets to the next part that's really important for us to understand today. Read with me as we transition into verses five through 10. Now we have a little bit of context. We understand a little bit about the high priest and why they were so important. They were making atonement for the sins of the people. And then the author says in verses five through 10, that is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming that he could become high priest. Remember, you can't appoint yourself to be the high priest. No, he was chosen by God who said to him, you are my son. Today I've become your father. And in another passage, God said to him, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We'll come back to that in a moment. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with, loud, with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. That's a reference to the Garden of Gethsemane. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Verse eight, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience. That's interesting that Jesus learned obedience as the son of God. How? From the things that he suffered. Verse nine, in this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, underline, exclamation mark, highlight, big print, a perfect high priest. God qualified him as a perfect high priest and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order, again, it says, of Melchizedek. Now, again, the first four verses here show the qualifications of the high priest. The author then begins to transition in verses five through 10. And what he's trying to do is build an argument for why Jesus met the qualifications. Are you with me this morning? Say, yeah. He's, he's laying out, okay, here are the qualifications. Here's how Jesus meets the qualifications. Well, it said, while he was here on earth, chosen from among men. Are you with me? He was chosen by God. It says he didn't appoint himself. He offered prayers. He offered pleadings with loud cries and tears. Hello, he's able to relate gently to those like us who come weak to him. He learned obedience from the things he suffered. He suffered just like you and I. But God qualified him as a perfect high priest because the sacrifice that he made was that he laid himself on the altar as our perfect lamb to be forgiven for our sins. So the author is going through like, here's why Jesus meets all of these requirements. Like, can't you see he was chosen by God? He represented man. He was chosen from among men. He's weak, just like you and I. He had to suffer. He can deal gently with us. Like he is qualified. Hello? But there's a problem. 
One big problem. Remember, the high priest had to come from the line of the Levites, from the clan of the Levites. Jesus was not a Levite. He was the lion of the tribe of. He was from a different tribe. He wasn't born into the right family to become a priest. He wasn't a descendant of Aaron. He was a descendant of Judah. Big problem. Jesus didn't offer sacrifices in the temple. So this, this idea of Jesus being the high priest to this audience, to the early Jews, would have not made sense. That like, yeah, we hear you that he meets all of these qualifications, but what about this? He's from Judah, not Levi. He can't be the high priest, hello? And so the, the writer addresses this in this way. In verses five and six, he, he actually quotes the Psalms two different times. The writer addresses this idea of how can Jesus be the high priest? He's from Judah. He's not the right family. He's not the right lineage. Here's what he says. In verse five, he quotes Psalm two, verse number seven. Today I have become your father. Then again, in verse six, he quotes Psalm 110, verse four, where it says, you are a priest. How long? Forever in the order of Melchizedek. So the writer begins to, to make this switch and, and to show that Jesus is actually qualified to be the high priest, but not in the way that the Jews expected. Not because he was from the line of, of Levi, but because he was in the order of another guy named Melchizedek, who is this shadowy character that we only see referenced two times in the Old Testament. The first time in Genesis chapter 14, and the second time I just read in Psalm 110 verse 4, where the psalmist said, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, prophesying about Jesus who was to come. So let me talk about Melchizedek for a moment because this is important. Y'all with me so far? I know this is a lot of context, but believe me, I'm getting somewhere that's important for us today. So Jesus is qualified to be a priest because he's in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, here's the backstory. You can read it later in Genesis 14. Y'all remember Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons. Yeah, yeah, okay. Abraham, he had a nephew named Lot, okay? Now, the first war mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 14. Any dudes that just love a good war story, come on. All right, none of us. All right, I thought it was like a Father's Day connection we were gonna have right there, but it missed, okay. So it's, it's the first war story in the Bible. And it was called the War of Nine Kings. Come on, that sounds epic, y'all. Nine Kings. And here's why it was called the War of Nine Kings, because there were four kings that were about to fight against five kings. Four plus five equals? All right, there we go. That's why it's the War of Nine Kings. So the four kings are about to battle the five kings. Now, you would think five kings, they're going to win, right? They got like five kings, only four. The four kings in a massive upset knocked out the five kings. Now, here's the problem. When the four kings knocked out the five kings in a war in, in Old Testament times, and even today, you carry off the spoils of war, right? You're taking people, you're taking cattle, you're taking money, food, whatever they got, it's now yours, right? Well, the problem was that the four kings had a lot in their spoils. Not like a lot of stuff, but Abraham's nephew Lot. Abraham's nephew Lot was carried off 
by the four kings. Abraham heard about Lot, his nephew, whom he loved, being carried off. Abraham rallies 318 men in his house. That's how many fighting men he had. I got three sons, but if I counted the fighting men in my house, it would be 1.75. I'll give them each a 0.25 for their like karate kick <laughs> skills. But Abraham had 318 men. But remember, he's going after four kings that defeated five kings. Like, but here's the moral of the story. Abraham wins. He, he defeats the four kings and he brings back the spoils, including his nephew Lot. And the Bible says in Genesis 14, he came into this place that was called the Valley of Kings. Sounds like a cool place. He just won a victory. He was riding pretty high into the Valley of Kings. And these kings come out to meet him. And he says, you know what? I don't even want all this stuff, really. I just was trying to get my nephew. And it says the king of Sodom came out. And then there was this other king that came out. You can read this in Genesis 14. And the king's name was Melchizedek. And it specifically says in Genesis 14 that Melchizedek was the king of Salem and priest of God most high. Now watch this. This is really important for us today. Melchizedek comes on the scene and he blesses Abraham. Now, how many of you know that the greater person blesses the lesser person? The lesser person doesn't bless the greater person. And so Melchizedek gives Abraham a blessing. And then Abraham says, look, since you bless me, I'm going to give you a tenth of all my stuff. A tithe. Hello. He gives Melchizedek a tithe of all of his stuff. And it says Melchizedek was the king of Salem and the priest of God most high. Now, I, I just need you to catch this. It's like Melchizedek stepped down out of time and space. This is Abraham we're talking about. Now, king of Salem. Salem means Jerusalem. In the Bible, if you look in Psalm uh, chapter 76, Salem means Jerusalem. Hello? The place where the Israelite nation would one day reside, but it did not yet because we're talking about Abraham still in the desert. Are you all with me this morning? King of Salem, priest of God most high. Priest of God most high, the Levites weren't even around yet. Hello? I'm just trying to let you know that Melchizedek was the king of Salem before King David and King Saul were ever thought of generations, hundreds of years before. He was the priest of God most high before the Levites were even around. He predated all of that. And he was both a priest and a king. Now to you and I, we're like, okay, what's, what's significant about that? But to the Israelites, to the Jewish audience, they knew that somebody couldn't be both priest and king. Think about it. If your political leader is also your spiritual leader, that, that doesn't sound too good. Hello? And it wasn't okay in Jewish society either for someone to be priest and king. But the author of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is a king. He's building this argument about how he's the Messiah and the king. But then he says he's the high priest too. And the Jews would have been baffled by that. They wouldn't have, that wouldn't have registered right with them unless they knew about Melchizedek which they did because by the way, he blessed Abraham, their father, who is the great patriarch of their faith. So they knew about Melchizedek. Here's what you have to understand. Melchizedek means two things. Melchizedek, king of righteousness. Hello, Jesus. That's what Melchizedek means, king of righteousness. And then it said he was king of Salem. 
Here's what that means. Salem means peace. King of righteousness, king of peace. Jesus, king of righteousness, king of peace. Priest and king. He was both. And all of a sudden, it's like writer of Hebrews, mic drop, mind's blown. Oh, Melchizedek. That's like a whole different deal. So what he's saying is this. Listen, he's establishing Jesus's credentials to the high priesthood based on Melchizedek, not Aaron. He's saying he's, he's the high priest because Melchizedek, not because of Aaron. And if you look over in Hebrews chapter seven, the whole chapter talks about how Jesus's priesthood is greater than the priesthood of Aaron. His priesthood is greater. Here's why. It's eternal. Remember, the priest could only go into the most holy place one time per year. We're going to read in a moment. Jesus is interceding in the throne room of God for you and I continually. VIP access. Come on, somebody. So it says in verses 9, God appointed him. He qualified him as a perfect high priest. Remember the high priest of Aaron, they weren't perfect. They had to bring a sin sacrifice for themselves. A perfect high priest. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Designated to be a high priest in the order of who? Melchizedek. Here's, here's bottom line on Melchizedek. You can read so much more in chapter 7. He was a shadow pointing us to Jesus. Jesus's priesthood is valid based on the fact that he came from the order of Melchizedek, not from the tribe of Levi and the line of Aaron. So to be honest, we don't wrestle so much with like, oh, how's Jesus the high priest? He's not like a Levite, right? That's not the question that we wrestle with as American Christians. Do you know what, want to know the question we wrestle with? Why do I need a high priest? What, what even is a high priest? Because watch, we live in a culture that values individualism. We live in a culture that values a can-do spirit. Come on, parents. We want our kids to be independent. We want them to, to gain uh, like a, a sense of independence so we don't have to get them a drink every time they need a drink. All right. We, we like that, like we value that. And there's something good about that, except for when it comes to approaching God. Individualism doesn't work when it comes to the idea of coming to God. We can't come to God on our own. We need a high priest. We need Jesus. And the truth is we, in America, we think of Jesus as like, oh, he's my friend. He's my savior. He's my Lord. He's my deliverer. He's my healer. All of those things are true. But he's got to be your high priest. He's got to be your high priest. Otherwise, you have no access. The Bible says you can only come to the father through the son. My access is based on Jesus's priesthood. You know, in America, there, there's another important concept here that we need to understand. It says that, that you can't appoint your own priests. They had to be appointed by God. And the, the reality is we live in an era where, watch this, people are essentially appointing 
their own priest. And what I mean is that a lot of times we appoint ourselves as our own high priest. Here's how. We say things like, I don't, I don't need the Bible. I'll just follow my own heart. I, I don't need God's word. I'll just follow my heart. My heart will lead me the right way, right? That's not what scripture says. I don't, I don't need the church. I, I can make my own way to God without the church. Or I don't need to come through God's appointed priest. Come on. This is a trap that in America we fall into. The reality is Jesus is the high priest that we need. He is the high priest that we need. So you're asking yourself, great, history lesson on high priest. Jesus is the guy. I, I take that. What does this all mean? How do I apply this to my life? Glad you're asking that. Let's look in Hebrews chapter 4. The answer to how this matters is found in the chapter before, at the end of Hebrews chapter 4, where the author actually introduces this idea before going into chapter 5. And it says this in verses 14 through 16 in Hebrews 4. So then... Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. He says, we have a great high priest and they're in heaven, not in the most holy place offering a sacrifice, but in the throne room of God himself. This high priest understands our weaknesses because he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. Verse 16, so let us then come boldly. Say boldly. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Here are all the qualifications. Here's how Jesus is the high priest. Now here's what you get with that. Are y'all ready to hear what you get with your VIP access? It's better than free parking. It's better than a front row seat. It's better than no line at the merchandise table. With, with our VIP access, because of Jesus, Jesus gives us this. Come on, imagine yourself. You got a VIP access in heaven. When you get to heaven, Jesus puts it on you like, yep, you got one. You got one, right? Jesus gives us VIP access as our high priest. So what do we get with that? First of all, remember, he's a greater high priest. It says he's the great high priest. The series is called Greater Than. Jesus is a high priest greater than Aaron, greater than the Levites, better than all that because he's in the order of Melchizedek. And he's not in the most holy place with a ram and a bull and a goat. Watch this. It says he's passed through the heavens. He's standing in the throne room of God. Some of us need to just grab that for a minute. Look, he's in the throne room of God interceding for you and me. Hello? Like, you're not getting that this morning because you'd be more excited. Jesus is standing before God and we have access to the throne room of God, not just in eternity in heaven, but now today when we call on Jesus, Jesus calls out on our behalf and he's standing in front of God. Hello? Like how many of you know when you're standing in front of the father or the king in his throne room, things can happen. We got to tap into our access and it comes through Jesus's priesthood. The high priest could only go in once a year. Jesus is in there all the time. 
continually interceding on our behalf. We say it every week in the Apostles' Creed. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He is there as our high priest. What do we get with our, our VIP access? Well, we get access one. Next thing, we have, a, we have a high priest that understands our weakness. We have a high priest that can deal with us gently because he suffered. We have a high priest that has compassion on us. Can I tell you so many people, even in the church, have a mixed up view of God where they don't look at God as, as able to deal with them gently. They, they look at God as, as being uh, full of wrath and vengeance, but they, we've got to know the, the mercy of God. We've got to know that he understands our weakness. That means he feels with us. He can sympathize with you. Are you thankful for that today? It says, our high priest faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. That's mind-blowing to me. All the things that you and I trip up on, Jesus didn't trip up on any of that. He faced even greater temptations than us, and he did not sin. He lived a sinless life, and watch this, as the high priest, he sacrificed his own life for us. The perfect sacrifice so that our sins could be atoned for, day of atonement. So that our sins might be forgiven. Here's what I want you to remember. VIP access allows you to come to God in your brokenness, in your weakness. Come on, aren't you thankful that we don't have to have it all together to come to God? Aren't you thankful that we have a high priest that's been tempted just like we have, yet he did not sin and so he can give us strength to not sin, hello? He can help us to overcome our sin because he was tempted just like we are. And so we can come to God in our weakness and our brokenness and he will deal with us gently. Here's the next thing. Our VIP access, our high priest gives us access to call upon God boldly. Say boldly. Now, anyone that knows anything about kings and thrones knows that you don't just go recklessly to the throne. That can get you killed in a kingdom. Hello? If you go into the king's presence, there are even allusions to this in the Bible. Without permission, you're putting your life on the line. But this says that because of Christ's high priesthood, we can come boldly. Here's what happened. He took God's throne of judgment and turned it into a throne of grace. When we accept Jesus's perfect sacrifice, when we accept his high priesthood, the throne that can be a throne of judgment, if we don't obey and believe, it says, all of a sudden becomes a throne of grace. It says the throne room of our gracious God we can come boldly. Through Jesus, you can come to God boldly. Some of us are stuck coming to God timidly, praying small prayers. And I just wanna encourage you today that the high priest gives you access to come, not just timidly, but boldly with confidence. Confidence in ourselves? No, confidence in the high priest confidence in the one that we can put our trust in to come boldly before God. 
Here's the last thing it says. Our high priest allows us to obtain mercy and grace. Say mercy. Say grace. Our high priest gives us access to mercy and grace. Watch this. To help us when we need it most. I don't know about you, but I've had some, I need some help when I need it most moments in my life. Where I needed God's grace. I needed God's mercy. God's mercy to not hold our sins against us. Even though we deserve punishment for them, God's mercy gives us forgiveness instead. God's grace allows us to receive his strength, his blessings, his favor. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Hello? I've heard it said like this. Mercy is like when I should punish my kid, but I don't punish my kid, I have mercy on them. Favor is the other side of that. Grace is the undeserved favor. So grace is when I go out, not only did I give my kid mercy, they didn't get punished, but they have favor on their lives. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to buy them some new shoes. Come on. We have both mercy and grace through Jesus. Watch this, when we need it most. I was thinking about this and this idea of access. And I was thinking about my own children and how, you know, a lot of times, even after this church service, I might be caught up talking to people in the lobby or in the sanctuary, engaged in a conversation. And it might be a really important conversation, but if my kids come to me and need something, how many of you know that takes precedence over whatever other conversation is happening? Hello? Like they, they don't have to wait for access to me as their father. If I'm in the middle of an important meeting and there's something urgent, they don't have to wait for access. Hello? Because they, they can get to me. They have that kind of access. And when it comes to relating to God, I just want to remind you this morning that you have access through Jesus, that you can come boldly, that you can obtain grace and mercy when you need it most. I'm so thankful for that today.